Hey everybody, welcome to That Photography Podcast. I'm Chris Moyle. And I'm Ed Jones. And joining us today is Scott Gelston. Hello everyone. Um, Scott, do you go by Scott or Scotty? Or I, I've... It's really interesting. In the Instagram day and age, people come up to me and say, you're burnt, Scotty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, generally Scotty, I yeah. think most people go with. Or Mr. Scott with a beard. Yeah, or the photographer with a beard came to our school, etc. 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 Because it is quite impressive. <laughs> I'm jealous. Um, you are mainly known well, locally and maybe kind of nationally as well as a um, a, a photojournalist for Fairfax, mm-hmm. um, working for our local rag, the Examiner. I won't call it what we colloquially call it here, <laughs> just to be respectful. <laughs> and the other one down my neck of the coast now, the Advocate. And again, I won't use what we call it. All good. All good. Um, so I, I think to start with, just for people who are listening who don't know your work or anything like that, if you can give us a bit of a rundown of your history until now, like two minutes, go. All righty. Well, uh, basically in college I had a mohawk, which I don't have that much hair on top anymore. I couldn't do that. But I was a guitarist in a punk band. And I went, how do I get a ticket to Falls Festival? And we weren't that good a band, so we weren't going to be playing there. And I thought, well, what if I do photography? And I always had an interest in the media. So I looked at getting a photo pass and basically I started by shooting street press. So going along to gigs, shooting bands, quite often your payment for that first sort of 12, 18 months would be the concert ticket, which yeah. when a festival comes in at 300 bucks for a two-day pass, that was a pretty good saving to make. And um, used that, built up a folio, shot bigger gigs, managed to pick up a couple of passes for the big day out in Melbourne when that was a big thing in the mid-2000s and built up the folio, had the guy from the examiner approach and gave me a casual job shooting the social pages, which is everyone's favourite job. Um, (laughs) Friday night, four hours, go to this event, go to this event, go to this event, go to this event, get eight captioned photos of people who may or may not have been drinking since before you got there. Mm. Uh, And once I got a foot in the door at the examiner, I went out of my way to make friends with people like the sports editor, uh, the people who are doing the Sunday features and saying, hey, look, you know, if something comes up, like there's a big event on, be it AFL, V8 supercars or um, or the like, and there's a spare pass floating around, feel free to hand it to me. If I get a good pick, you can have it for publication. If I don't, a bit of experience under my hat. Uh, again, that lasted for probably six months or so where I got a couple of free tickets and then they said, okay, we probably need to look at giving you a part-time job. and then course part-time for a little while until someone left as a full-timer you can't necessarily create a position for yourself but you can certainly make yourself the next best candidate when that position opens up so Mm. um i remember i know last couple of years a position came up at the examiner and i think every man and his dog knew about it straight away like it was instant like there's a position at a regional newspaper do you want it yeah i mean when we advertise for photographer positions, which I think we've done uh, twice sort of in my time there, you'd probably be looking at about 60 to 80 applicants that were serious uh, that would send you a good folio of work. So, And other than that, um, yeah, they're, they're rare as hen's teeth, these positions. Yeah, yeah. I, having seen that down at the Advocate, like I've done, I did my time just as a ringer there. Mm-hmm. and um, with other mates that have worked there off and on, knowing how rarely those positions come up. And I think the last time there was a, prior to this 
latest reshuffle, the last time there was a previous sort of physician advertiser actually went almost in-house that it was a journo wanted to change out of yep. Yep. being a journo into photography. So, mm. And the positions are just becoming harder to come by. When I started with Fairfax in Tasmania, we had a total of 11.6 photographers, so 11 full-timers across the advocate and the examiner, uh, and then 0.6 made up of casuals and a part-timer. Yep. And nowadays we're down to six full-time equivalents, so 3.6 at one site and 2.4 at the other. So yeah. it's a reduction of you know half in five years. Well, that, that's a question right there. And like with this, you know, obviously this would be a forefront of your mind and a lot of people's mind. You know the question mm-hmm. I'm going to ask. <laughs> um, with the um, reduction of photojournalists per se across the medium, the board, yep. and it's also like the downturn of the news industry in the physical form, basically. Mm-hmm. How do you um, strive to keep yourself relevant to keep those positions? I know it's not always in your own hands. Yep. Um, but yeah, there, there is, there's got to be a little bit of monkeying around to try and keep yourself in a job, I suppose. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, there has to be a level of healthy competition in the department you work in. So yep. if there's four or five guys, you know, you know, we're down to sort of four at the moment, you all want to be kind of trying to put an idea forward and make sure that your idea is on top of the pile for the following day so that the editors and the readers are seeing your name accompanying the page one and page three photos, the back page photos. Um, the other kind of mantra that I take into working at the newspaper is it's no longer, uh, what, what it used to be, F8 and B there was the, the call of the photojournalist yeah. yeah. in the 80s. Well, these days, my call is if I can take the photo with my iPhone, I shouldn't be doing that job. So, good way of thinking about it. If it's going to run on page 12, it's a check presentation from one local group to a local charity. We haven't placed a great visual impact um, or importance, sorry, on the story. I'll say, look, it's probably best that a journalist pick that up. They're going to take the same photo with an iPhone that we probably would. But, however, you've talked to me about that story now and they're actually donating a playground. So why don't we push that photo up to page three? We'll get a kid on the playground. We'll try and make it look exciting and colourful. So my job is to try and differentiate the jobs that require a photographer and the photographic expertise or to elevate jobs that otherwise they've gone, look, we don't think it really is deserving of a a great photograph, uh, which unfortunately is a conversation that he's had at conference in the morning that, Photographs are prioritised and uh, just because a story gets a photo doesn't mean that they consider it a high-priority photograph anymore. So, hmm. Yeah. One of the things you've discussed with me in passing in the, par- um, in the past is now that we're using digital publication and layouts and everything like that, that there's a lot of stuff pre-done, like layouts yep. particularly. And, that, and how does that impact your workflow? Uh, on certain jobs, it impacts it a lot. So, for example, our um, social pages, which uh, now that we no longer have casuals, have gone back to the more senior photographers having to fill those pages each week. Um, we know that there will be seven horizontal boxes and one square box every day. So when we go out and shoot our social photos, we know that there's really no point photographing a lovely couple with a dress with a split right up the side because no one's really going to be able to see it unless it's running in that square box. So then you have to work out how to best fill that space. Um, other than that, if you're going and shooting news stories, you generally, you still have a little bit of a chance to change a template. So if they say you're taking a horizontal pick for the front page um, and the inverse happened the other week, they had 
a long 16 by 9 vertical box to go on the front page. I took a photo at about 2 o'clock. I said, look, this photograph only works as a horizontal. This is the photo. And they agreed and they were able to put in a change for a template. Um, so your choices are you either have to try and fit the boxes, which sometimes results in not the best results because basketball, for example, is a vertical sport. You mm-hmm. jump up and down. Horizontal boxes do not work very well, but you might find that due to the way the ads have been sold or the stories that have already been written on that page, you're stuck with it. Uh, but quite often you can call up when you make the photograph and argue and go, look, we need to change it. It's in the best interest of our readers and of actually running you know, a photograph from this event. So, yeah, because yeah. that kind of sort of steps into the commercial mindset as well. When you're shooting for editorial mm-hmm. or anything like that, you know you need to leave X amount of gap at the top for a headline or you know title and stuff like that. So I think that's pretty interesting. But then you've also got the next iteration of what you're dealing with, and that is that this stuff's going online as well. So a lot of the articles, I don't know what the how much uh, they put up. Pretty much a hundred percent of the articles are online. So okay. uh, the only thing you will find is that sometimes a story will appear at lunchtime today that'll be in tomorrow's paper Hmm. and sometimes a story may be held and won't go online until lunchtime the day that it's actually publicated um it's it's pretty much everything that we shoot is online Uh, so everyone sees everything which means that essentially every job we shoot we need to get a horizontal option for because all of the horizontal all the um online pages are set for horizontal Horizontal, boxes yep Um, do they bulk up any of the actual um, align with more images at all, or is it just purely what's in the paper? They do. So um, when we shoot jobs, we'll be told that there's a slideshow uh, yeah. that has to accompany right. a job. We have um, guidelines which we aim to do a slideshow for each day we're rostered on, and each photographer is asked to do a social media post, whether it be via Instagram or Facebook. So we're trying to keep the photographers engaged and involved in the ways of um, publishing as well as requesting certain things to fit certain boxes. and Yeah, no, uh, it's, yeah, the, I, I think that's like what I'm getting at here is that the, the back in the day where you'd shoot, hand it over, somebody else would develop it and, and the editors would deal with it. This is, even though people are going, you know, the art of the photojournalism is kind of dying with the, you know, the different mm-hmm. newspapers and stuff like that, the actual evolution of it is actually a lot more interesting because of having to deal with the layouts, having to deal with online, having technically need to put out more output because you actually are publishing to multiple spaces. Yeah, definitely. And uh, another thing you find is timeliness is really important now. Mm. Um, A really fresh example is last night uh, I had to do the social photographs for one of the local colleges. They were having their ball. So you've got about 250 students aged between 17, 18, turning up all dressed up to the nines. The request was from the paper to photograph every arrival. So in 25 minutes, I managed to photograph 100 groups going through the door, whether they be couples, uh, groups of threes, fours, fives. They all had to be photographed horizontally because they were mainly for a slideshow. Uh, We managed to arrival start at 6.30, finished at 5 past 7, by a quarter past eight, they were up online on the examiner's website as a slideshow. They were promoted via a Facebook post to a targeted audience as well. And by midnight, there'd been a quarter of a million people view those photographs. So a quarter of a million page impressions, sorry. All um, right, so the Olympics next time for you guys? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting way of working 
generally you would have gone out, uh, shot the job, come back, captioned photos, edited yeah. photos, placed them up. With a job like this where time was of the essence because people do have a fairly short attention span, it was... Well, you're trying to beat the Instagrammers within the actual party. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the photos, I mean, by being up by a quarter past eight, a lot of the people were still, you know, yet to be served their dinner at that stage yeah. in the evening. Um, so it was come back, do a very quick cull of the images, obviously, you know, people who are blinking and the like, uh, run a very basic automation for the edit just to lighten, bring out a little bit of shadow detail, mm-hmm. um, and then a very quick crop and then drop them into the website. Those photos still haven't been captioned yet. I have about uh, a set of about 20, which will caption, and they'll run in press yep. later in the week. So, Wow. It's, it's pretty full on. Like it, it seems to me that one of the things is that with everything changing the way it is, with the, the reduction across the board yep. throughout the world of all the major publications shedding photojournalists and so on, the, the more engaged you are and the more proactive you are in, in actually working hard, I mean, working harder to one degree, but also making sure that you're part of the process oh, most is, the, is a critical thing in staying, staying part of staying employed doing it. Well, the other thing I noticed is, and you could definitely speak to this, is your style has evolved as well in the last, what, two to three years? Uh, as a guess, I, like, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you yep. a point yep. because one thing I um, – I notice is you started to use um, more off-camera flash, stri- um, you know, strobes, um, gelling, creating mm-hmm. more of a mood and atmosphere than just getting the you know the person in with the background sort of thing. You sort of artistically playing with it, um, and that's also I think from what I've seen has come from your other passion, which is using um, you know shooting back to music and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So. What was the in what at what point in time did you start going? I need to start experimenting more. Was it because a bit of boredom, or was it just you? You just knew you had to mix it up. Uh, I think it was one of those things that uh, by shooting music, you are given a stage which is beautifully lit that has coloured lighting that has you know key light spotlight essentially yeah. on the subject, and going okay, I can rock up and I can deal with the the settings and the environment that's been given to me. And you learn to shoot like that, you'll take it back, you'll shoot natural light on a lot of your press jobs, yep. and then you get given a flash gun because you need one, and you go, well, I don't really know what to do with it. You put it on top of the camera, you bang it at someone at a half power, and you go, that looks terrible. <laughs> uh, on camera flash. On camera flash, uh, I have no idea what I'm doing, why are the colours in the background all orange and the people look white. How about um, I just point it at the roof? Yep. So it it was one of those things that I went, okay, I obviously need to learn about this. It's a piece of equipment that I've got. Um, and like a lot of people who Google strobe on the internet probably would have come across Joe McNally and his work. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was lucky enough to go to one of Joe's seminars in Melbourne where he said, basically, this is the gear you guys have in your bag. And these are two models. We've got an actor and we've got a dancer and we're going to show you how to use it. And in four hours, he ran through numerous situations with umbrellas, soft boxes, sticking a bear flash at the back of a room. And it really woke me up to the potential that I actually had in my camera bag. And so when I came back two days later, the first thing I did was, went, okay, I've got to start actually playing with these things, experimenting. Um, and I think learning for me is definitely a two-part process. I really, I could read as many books as I like and 
I probably get inspiration from them, but not pick up the technique mm. that well. By seeing someone else actually operate, that makes a big difference. And then actually going out there myself Reinforcing and experimenting. Yeah. Um, working for a newspaper, it's great because you can experiment on the job. The bad part about it is people also see your failures sometimes when you don't get a second option. So <laughs> it goes both ways when you're starting out. Yeah. But yeah, it's probably the last four or five years that I've really gone down that path. And as I've gone by that mantra of if I can do it with an iPhone, I shouldn't be shooting it. Yeah. It's certainly become reinforced and a lot more prevalent in the work I'm producing. It definitely makes your work distinctive. Like I do play the game. Now that you're shooting some of the Advocate, I do play the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in a cafe, the Advocate's there. It's like, not look at the captions, let's go photographer A, photographer B, photographer C, Scott. Yeah. yeah. A, <laughs> I've done it before as well. C, Scott. Photographer B, Scott, Scott. And you, it's, you've got a distinctive style that stands out. Yeah. Um, and it's not just your use of, I mean, for me, and I'm not just blowing smoke in your ear, it's not just your use of the flashes and the gels because I've noticed a couple of the other photographers playing mm-hmm. with that. It's the contextualisation of using them for a purpose, not just sticking an orange light behind them or a red light there because it'll look good, but using... But it looks cool, man. I mean, one that, one that stood out and it, it took me, it actually took me a second, was one that you shot recently with was an Ambos mm-hmm. and it's like, there's a red gel there and there's a blue gel there, but it it was so subtle that for a moment it's like it just because the ambulance was there with its lights in the background, it's just like, oh, it's ambulance lights. It's like, no, it's not. I think it's one of those things that I tend to think a lot about color psychology. So warm, happy thoughts, yep. you know, yep. candlelight, uh, fireplaces, blue, horror movies, cold, dark, damp, yep. uh, playing with the balance between the two. So if you're shooting in tungsten, you can make a whole room go blue, but then you can make your subject that really warm, you know, candle that pops out of the photograph. And so that's, that's one thing I like to do, go, okay, what kind of feeling am I trying to evoke from this photograph? And the second thing is using, as you say about the Ambo photo, using clues that are there. So if you're photographing potters and they have a kiln, the kiln might not be on because they are really, really hot but you could stick an orange flash inside it and people go, oh, yeah, pottery comes out of a kiln, which is a big hot oven. So you're trying to find the clues that give you, you know, little pointers as to what colours will help build a, a news photograph without being out of place. You're trying so to make us look smart cinematic. as photographers. This is not a good thing. <laughs> is there a McNally tutorial or something where I've seen somewhere that he's shooting ones in like a blacksmith's? And mm-hmm. so the, the he's, he's tried to get the light out, the amber, sort of glow out of the furnace, but it's just not there to get Speaking everything. Speaking of else. blacksmiths, so he's gone with you some did a big project with um, Brains, just Peter. Pete, Pete Matilla, Pete, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's one for, for next year, big uh, exhibition coming up. So. Awesome. Yeah, because you've put up a lot of behind-the-scenes photos as mm. you were doing it, and that, and that was a commission by Hydra or somebody? Uh, so Pete was commissioned by Tazgas to create a, um, a steel sculpture and – they then commissioned me to document the creation of it, and it meant that we were spending anywhere up to five or six hours a um a week working on this project together, uh, shooting it as the creation was taking place, and uh, there were many thousands of photographs taken over six months, and next year at our QV Mag here in Launceston there'll be a about a 40, 40 image show, which means the really really hard part. 
is well, there of the curating, the edit, the actually editing. The art is in the editing, as they say. Yeah, it's well, not even <clears throat> so far in the editing. The images have been edited. It's now the curating. Well, that's um, what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the classic story, isn't the it? classic. Yeah, definition of editing. Mm. Um, well, like you can you can make a picture look great, but if you're doing a con- a, a contextual thing where you got what forty images, mm-hmm. you want to generate a story within looking at these yeah. as an evolution. Like, oh yeah, um, I think that's a, a big problem with a lot of stuff, and still happens with me a bit. Is that you can go, this image looks great, this image looks great, this image looks great, but they don't connect. Yeah, I think one of the things I tried to focus on throughout the project, obviously I couldn't, like I hadn't a vision while shooting it that, okay, maybe this could be exhibition worthy. You know, there's mm-hmm. so much texture and um, context to the images that I can't have 40 hero images of Pete. You know, I love the guy like a brother, but I can't just put 40 mm. big pics of him up on a wall. So I started thinking about the process um, and about his relationship to the materials and the building in which we were photographing, which is a historic blacksmith shop um, that, was you know dragged out of commission basically just for this project yeah. and then put back into its state as a museum piece um and and by doing that it really allowed me to sort of broaden the scope of the images rather than just being three guys forging a bar three guys using a bar under a hammer um so hopefully when viewers look they will not only get a sense of the project progressing from start to finish but also the the techniques and the trials and tribulations that sort of came with with the construction of it. Okay, now Look forward to it. Yeah, yeah, I am too. I really enjoyed watching the behind the scenes. So yeah, um, moving on to other things. Back to the the, the journalism stuff. Yeah, you're. Um, I suppose the big thing with this is that you're dealing with every scope of humanity, pretty much, with this with yep. this job. Do you? Um, I suppose what what has been one of your greatest sort of accomplishments of dealing with that? I know it's sort of putting you on the spot, but also I suppose to counterbalance that, what what has been some of the hardest stuff you've had to deal with in this? Oh, that's a really tough one. I mean, how long is a piece of string? How long is a piece of string? Um, uh, as you say to people, like as a news photographer, you go out to car accidents, for example. Okay, and I think the way that my nan put it. When I first started, she said, how do you deal with that? You know, don't you feel like a vulture? And pretty soon you get out there and you turn up really nervous in the car, the police officer, you've been told that it's been a fatal accident. You know, it's not a good news story no. in terms of, you know, feelings associated. And the police officer will say, yeah, I'll get the commanding officer, you know, just wait here for 15 minutes. He'll come down and he'll let you know what's happening. And the reason the media goes to cover these things is the police will say to you, well, when you put these photos on the front of your paper, people slow down, you know? Yep. Um, when you run a story about a house that got burnt out and people lost all their possessions because they didn't have a smoke alarm, people check their batteries. So you try and find the, you know, the bright spark, I guess, yep. in, in the, the tough stories. Um, that's probably one of the hardest things that you have to deal with. I mean, at the end of the day, pretty much any news photographer you ask would probably prefer to be... Um, you know, sitting on the ground at an AFL match or a soccer match, you know, photographing the action or um, doing a piece about, you know, a, a local dance school or someone who's just, you know, reached a new height. But at the end of the day, you have to cover those darker stories. So, mm. um, but yeah, it's just that the knowledge that you're helping get a message out that obviously 
you know, they want people to hear. So, yeah. Because yeah. mm. you've done this sort of work before yeah, yourself. <clears throat> spent a little bit of time working freelance um, doing that. I didn't get any, I didn't have to do any accidents or anything like that. Typically, I just got sent out to either, I didn't, I managed to avoid most of the socials. Um, I had, <laughs> You're lucky. I had, I had one bout of Leavers dinners, which was, which was awesome because I had 10 minutes to travel 40, 50 kilometres between sites because of how the job had been booked, um, which, yeah, was never going to work. The, did did um, you just hear about fatal accidents and slowing yeah, down? I, I drove to the speed limit. <laughs> I drove to the speed limit in the, uh, the work vehicle, but, yeah, it was – I miss I, – I just made an executive decision that I'd covered enough of the first one and there were only the stragglers sort of coming in, like, okay, if I leave now, I can get in and probably only miss – five or ten arrivals from the, from the other. Time management is something that's really uh, important to, mm. uh, to take note of. And during the week, you can run picture stories sort of every hour in a city like Launceston. You know that you can take 10 minutes to drive there, 15 minutes for the reporter to do their job, during which time I'm probably thinking, okay, what's the photo going to be? How am I going to set it up? 15 minutes shooting, 10 minutes driving across to the next job. So you can, you can do a job every hour. But when you're shooting stuff like uh, football matches on a Saturday and you have four football matches that all start at 2 o'clock, it comes down to going, okay, which leagues actually start at 2 and which leagues start at 2.30? And if I shoot the first quarter here, which goes to 25 minutes, can I make it to the next spot in 10 yeah. minutes? So, um, Because quite often the people assigning the jobs you're doing go, yeah, you can, you can shoot four football matches. They go for three hours each, but yeah, they might actually be, as you say, 40, 50K apart. Which, yeah. yeah, which is a challenge. I mean. I enjoyed getting out and doing portraits of people and doing mm -hmm. those photos. And that's, I mean, I'm a portrait wedding photographer, so that's what I love doing yeah. is spending a bit of time. And I enjoyed the challenge of like having maybe five minutes with someone to create a, a portrait that actually told a little bit of their story. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this also goes to a little bit of what you're asking, Scott. Like one of the things I found the most important is how can you get someone comfortable enough to create a good photo of them in a short amount of time? Yeah. Which, I mean, as a wedding photographer, you get to practice it all the time because you're dealing with, and you're dealing with people on a stressful day. Um, but when you, I mean, you can have like the gamut. You could have the director of a, a major company, or you can have a high school kid that's just done an academic academic achievement, yeah. and you've got to be able to get them all comfortable so they look good, so those photos look good, so that they'll get coverage, yeah, they'll get used. Yeah, because you you sort of you. You are running the gamut of personality there, and you you need to get the image. Yeah, and and that can be really tricky. I suppose like working with a politician who's used to being in front of a camera is different to say working with a mental healthcare professional mm -hmm. who who's yeah. just had some horrific thing happen or something like that. And you need to get them to pose or do something naturalistic as yeah. much as possible, yeah. but still convey the story. It, it's one of those things like I just mentioned with time management, that I always try and get the reporters to do their interview first. If you go in with two cameras and a light stand and an umbrella to a job and you try and shoot it straight up, people, it's a little bit of the rabbit in your headlights kind of thing. Yeah. They just kind of yeah. get there. They, they freeze up and they don't really want to, you know, give away any of themselves. They're like, okay, this is me. I'm here. You're taking my photo. Thanks. Cool. I'll chat to someone now. Um, probably one of the, the best results I've had with photographing someone for a portrait um, was we had a really notable artist uh, down here in Tasmania who had 
essentially won the Super Bowl in their field, okay? And I was uh, the event photographer for an event that he was at, and he had half an hour on the ground. And after he'd done his little speech, um, I said to him, I said, look, I really need to get a great portrait of you. Um, I know you've got friends, family here. Look, why don't you go and have a beer with them in the bar, okay? And then you said you're going to be here for half an hour. And he goes, yeah, I'll be here for half an hour. I said, look, in 25 minutes, I'll come back and I'll get you. So he had 25 minutes to go and get hugs and shake everyone's hand for all the people that were important to him that had travelled from across the state and across the country to meet this guy. And 25-minute mark came, tapped him on the shoulder. I said, are you ready for this now, mate? He goes, yeah, yeah, for sure. We went out. I picked a spot, set up my lighting already, so everything was ready. He just had to walk in, and we just had to yarn. We only had five minutes together. Took this snap, and this artist was one of those people who, you know, extroverted artist, always smiling, always, mm. you know, um, always, you know, yeah. putting, putting on the face and shaking everyone's hand and really happy to meet everyone. And I got this one image which uh, showed them in a sort of downcast light and appeared to, to show something from inside themselves. And after about six months of having this image sitting there, I thought, okay, I'll send it through and see what they think of it. And afterwards they said, you know, there were so many photos taken of me last year, but I had many things happen in my life, and one of them was that I lost someone that was really dear to me, my mm. family. And after three months of celebrating this gigantic win and, and that then subsequently happening, this was probably the first time in those five minutes that I really was able to just sit on my own and think about the grief that I was going through. And I thought, you know, it just, it just felt like an honour. They said they were, you know, it was a hard image for them to look at, but they were so glad that they were able to reflect on it and realise that finally they were at a point where. Yeah, I had a friend who did something similar, um, not as a photographer but as mm-hmm. an actor, um, yeah. actually quite a world-famous actor, and he there's a series of images of him. I won't say who it was. Um, he did a photo shoot for a US TV show, and he did everything in character and everything they asked for him. Um Everybody finished and he talked to the photographer, let everybody clear the set and he just went up to him and just said, can you take a few more photos for me? Mm-hmm. said, oh, okay. Um, thinking, you know, as a photographer, you go, the job's done. Okay. You don't usually get celebrities asking you to take extra photos. And it was, um, he just said, look, I, just before the shoot, I got a phone call saying my dad had passed away and I just want you to take a couple of photos. And then he just let it go. And those portraits are magnificent. Yeah. Um, you don't get those opportunities and it's really a privilege to oh, have yeah. them. Um, yeah, I, I think they're – and it's how you treat people as well is the big thing with that. That's it. It's yeah. respecting the subject before the photograph. Yeah. The, the subject is always more important than the photograph. Yeah. So if you go into a shoot going, you're having your photo taken whether you like it or not, mate, that's not respecting the subject. You don't know what's going on in their world. You don't know what morning they've had, what day they've had. So if you go in there with that attitude, you might get a photo, but it's not going to be a photo. It's not going to be a good one. But if you respect the subject first and show them that respect, yeah, then you're going to get better out of them. You're going to get more authentic out of them. And they're probably going to be quite happy for you to shoot them again. Yeah, well, um, I think the last thing we'd talk about is just um, what would be the – I don't know how I would do this. Um, sort of a tip you would give to anybody up and coming, you think, Scott? With doesn't have to be anything sensational, but what what would be the one thing you'd say? Like, just 
think about these sort of things or that just to improve your mindset or technique or anything? I probably, there's normally two bits of advice that I'd give people when they say, look, I really love to photography and I'd love to get into yeah. it. And I say, well, number one, be a good person before you're a good photographer because your client, your photo editor, your boss, they will love your photos. Okay. If you're, if you're a good photo photographer or you, you know, you're technically on the way there and you're learning, they will go, yeah, I can see the effort you're putting in. Okay. But if you're a, a nasty person or you're really arrogant or the like, they'll go, well, I can deal with a lot of other people who are better than you technically. Be a nice person. Okay. Like offer, you know, I always say that to a client, you know, you'll get X return out of a job. Okay. So we'll work for two hours together. You'll get roughly this amount. I always try and over deliver by five or 10% so that if they feel like they're getting good value and you're working as hard as you can and you're talking to them the whole time and being a really nice person to deal with because they'll go, Oh, we'll, we'll get Scott again. Cause he was great last time. You know, we, we stopped for coffee between locations and we're able to yarn for 15 minutes. And that was exactly what we needed. It put everyone at ease before we did the next part of the job. Um, so yeah, be a nice person. People will remember you. Um, I always take it as a compliment when I'm shooting jobs around town and some of the local people like the mayor come over with a sandwich for me and go, how are you doing today? You know, it's, it's nice that yeah. people feel that comfortable talking to me and they go, yeah, we, we know Scott, he's all right. So the other piece of advice that I give people is shoot what you're passionate about, especially when you're starting out. So for me, I was a wannabe guitarist and it was music. And by following uh, a path that, you know, realistically there's, probably a handful of photographers in Australia who managed to make a living as rock and roll photographers. But by doing that, it gave me something really passionate to focus on visually and uh, start to build a folio and a coherent body of work and go, hey, maybe I can actually do photography. Maybe this is something I can pursue, you know. After shooting music probably for 12 months, I started going, oh, I wonder if I take my camera along when there's the cycling race in town or uh, the river is in flood or all these little different bits and pieces and then sort of started branching out. Um, so if you're into horses, contact your local pony club, say, do you have a photographer on Sunday? Can I help out? You know, mm. um, it's, it's really the best way to get started because that way, as I said, you'll shoot something you're passionate about. You're passionate about photography because you're considering it as a, you know, a career or at least an avenue to explore. Um, but it just gives you that extra little spark to, to push yourself at the start. Don't shoot weddings if you don't want to be a wedding photographer, if you hate weddings. I, I, I made that decision before I even <laughs> shot one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'll leave it here now. It's been awesome having you, man. Um, thanks for coming and spending some of your precious time. No worries. Um, I was Bruce Smile. And I was Ed Jones. And I was Scott Gelston for most of the time. Most of the time. And where can we find your work apart from the examiner? Uh, you can follow me, uh, Scott Gelston Photography, on Facebook. Uh, you can see my home life on uh, Burnt Scotty on Instagram or there's also scottgelston.com, which has uh, folios of work that I've produced over the last couple of years. Right, so, and you can look at the post for our links because yeah, they're on they're, every haven't post. Changed. <laughs> haven't changed. All right, guys, thank you, everybody. Um, talk to you next time. See ya. See ya.